just a brief time before we have uh, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper and we continue our worship. This is the end of our 50-day adventure, and I cannot tell you that I am sad to see that because my mind has been on the future for some time. I know you've probably picked that up, but we had a commitment to go through this process, and I'm glad we did. It's been a good process. Um, This last message is about choosing life. When the rest of the nation does this adventure... um, for, for, uh, for the majority of the churches, this last Sunday will come on Easter. And so this will be an Easter Sunday sermon for them. And it's an Easter Sunday sermon for us also. Let me tell you, though, the angle that I want to take this morning is probably one that you've not heard before. I am absolutely fascinated with how God has put his theology into the structure of this universe. And I'm going to just give you a concept this morning that I will explain in detail as we go along. But it is a fascinating concept to me. It has to do with life and death and how we die. It has to do with the second law of thermodynamics, which you know to be the law of entropy or the law that, uh, that everything is slowly unwinding and becoming disorganized and disintegrating and becoming more chaotic. That is a given law in physics. That is a law uh, that um, um, is is, uh, affirmed and seen as foundational by all sciences. It's one that is self-evident in our universe. But let me tell you why that's the law. Let me tell you why that happens. And let me tell you how that happens. The law of entropy, the the second law of thermodynamics, is only valid... In a closed system. It is only valid in a system that keeps to itself. This information, by the way, that I'm going to be telling you this morning came from two books. One called God and the New Physics uh, by the chairman of the uh, professor of physics at uh, Cambridge University. And um, a book called General Systems Theory by a German uh, scientist, uh, von Bertalanffy who has taken an overview of all systems, physics, biology, uh, sociology, anthropology, and so on and so forth, and shown what they have to be in common. And what is coming out is absolutely fascinating to me because it is scripture. They don't quote scripture, but it is scripture. Let me show you something. Let me show you how death came into this world. Turn to Genesis 3. And you will see a system that was an open system become a closed system. God put Adam and Eve into the garden, came and they were on a conversational basis, open system. And then you will notice that in in verse 3, they begin to close up. Out of a voice of temptation. But the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden. God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it lest you die. Now I want you to think of death not in terms of a one event um, um, category. But in terms of a process. In terms of a slow deterioration. 
in terms of entropy. You shall not touch it lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you're not going to die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, you won't need God anymore. You will be a God unto yourself. Closed system. There is no more relationship. Now I can be a God unto myself. Now look what happens. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eye and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. By the way, he was, don't blame this on the woman, he was standing there watching her. He didn't stop her. He could have stopped her. He could have exercised spiritual leadership. He didn't say a word. It's his problem, not her problem. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. Now see, the first thing they look at that is themselves. The eyes both of both, the first thing they look at is, is that themselves. They knew that they were naked and they sewed together fig leaves together uh, and made themselves loin coverings. What are they doing? They are beginning to separate who they are from God. They are beginning to have something in between them and God. Now look at verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool, in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. What have they done? They've hidden from God now. Now they not only have fig leaves between them and God. Now they have bushes between them and God. They are beginning to cut themselves off and beginning to become a closed system where deterioration. And death slowly takes place. It was not evident to them at the time. Because as long as we have physical life, it doesn't look like we are dying. As long as we are learning more, as long as we think we're wise, it doesn't look like we're dying. But the law of this universe is the law of entropy in a closed system. It is slow deterioration. Now watch. What did God say we are to the world? Matthew 5, 13. You are the salt of the earth, right? Okay. What does salt do? Well, first thing people usually answer is it adds taste. Okay, so you're going, it's supposed to go out and add flavor to the world. Well, that's nice and fluffy, but it's not substantive. The second and closer meaning of salt is that it is a preservative and it retards deterioration, right? So we are to go out and we are to be a preservative in this world. We are to be people who do not deteriorate so quickly. But the third thing salt does that I have never heard anybody say is salt creates thirst. Salt creates thirst. It creates a dissatisfaction, a hunger, a desire to outreach in a closed system. Something that says, I need something else. And so Christians are to be those people that speak to other people who are closed systems and arouse in them a thirst 
for something outside themselves because that is the only way that they will ever accommodate what is called in physics negative entropy. Now I'll get to that in just a second. But let me show you in theological terms what we're talking about if you turn to Deuteronomy 30. And God's trying to tell his folks in a covenant after he's given them the Ten Commandments. He's trying to tell them what it's like to live in the world without him and what it's like to live in the world with him. And it's a wonderful talk. If you, uh, uh, we'll, we'll go into chapter 29 and just let me read some of this to you. I just love this. These are the words of the covenant. 29.1, Deuteronomy. These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the sons of Israel in the land of Moab besides the covenant which he had made with them at Horeb. That's the Ten Commandments. And Moses summoned all Israel to them and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and all his servants and all his land. In other words, they were at one time captives to the world. Egypt is symbolic of the entire powerful world system and they were its slaves. And God broke that bondage. Now down in verse 9 it says, So keep the words, and he goes down and and talks about all that God has done for them. How he's walked them around 40 years in the the desert and they never needed new clothes. Their sandals didn't wear out. Picture that. You guys who buy tennis shoes for your kids every six months and say, I can't believe how fast you go through shoes. Can you imagine them wearing the same shoes for 40 years? But that's one of the things that God did to preserve them so that things would not have the natural deterioration in the desert, you see. Because they are plugged into a system that is beyond what is a closed system of the world. Verse 9, so keep the words of this covenant to do them that you may prosper in all that you do. Verse 14, now... Not with you alone am I making this covenant and this oath. But both with those who stand here with us today in the presence of the Lord our God. And with those who are not with us here today. In other words, this is good forever. It's not just this generation with whom I'm making this covenant. This will last forever. It's the same forever and ever. Verse 16. Now listen, the nations through which you passed. Moreover, you have seen their abominations and their idols of wood and stone and silver and gold which they had with them. Lest there shall be among you a man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away today from the Lord to go and serve the gods of those nations. Lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous fruit and wormwood. And it shall be said when he hears the words of the curse... That he will boast saying, I have peace, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. By the way, I I was talking with a guy today, this week, and he was saying, do you know how many stupid decisions Christians make because they have a peace about it? Don't make your feelings the summation of the reason you make a spiritual decision. We can have a peace in the stubbornness of our heart. We can be absolutely catatonic and think we're right. 
Don't just make the fact that you're relaxed with a decision your final um, um, judgment as to whether or not that's a spiritual or a godly decision. I have peace, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart, in order to destroy the watered land with the dry. Don't you love that? Again, watered land being that symbol of all that prospers, but to destroy that that lives with dry land. That's, that's something that you don't usually hear. It's a, it's, okay. And then he talks about how he's going to curse the land for those who stay within this world system. Verse 23, all its land is brimstone and salt. A burning waste, unsown and unproductive, and no grass grows in it. Verse 24, people will ask, why has the Lord done this to the land? Why this great outburst of anger? And then men shall say, because they forsook the covenant of the Lord. Verse 26, and they went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods whom they had not known and whom he, God, had not allotted to them. In other words, gods of this world. This is a closed system. As long as you stay in this system, there will be death and deterioration. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, verse 29 says. But the things revealed belong to us. Again, that's the connection. That is the outreach beyond the system we're in. The things revealed belong to us. And to our sons, that we may obtain all the words of this law. In, verse, in, in, in chapter 30, just a couple of verses, is, there's a wonderful promise. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart. Verse 6. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants. What a wonderful promise. Your children will have a spiritual life. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul in order that you may live. Verse 11. Now look, this commandment which I command you today is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it. Nor is beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross the sea for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it. But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may observe it. There isn't a person in this room that does not know in their heart that life and health and peace are matters of the spirit and not matters of biology. You all know that. All of us do from the time we are little. We know that that's a matter of the spirit. Okay, let me, let me speak to you some more. So I've set before you this day life and prosperity and death and adversity. In that I command you today to love the Lord your God and walk in his ways and to keep his commandments. But if your heart turns away and you will not obey, but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. Verse 19. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live 
you and your descendants. By loving the Lord your God and by obeying his voice and by holding fast to him for, now listen to this, this is your life. It is so important for us to realize that in the structure of this universe, the very thing that we have been told would be for our good the very thing that we've been, I mean, we have, to, we have been told that the best thing for a human being is to get them relaxed so that they can reach a status called homeostasis. That's been the basis of psychology for years. Relieve stress, relieve guilt, so that people can relax and be comfortable with where they are. As soon as we are comfortable with where we are, we begin to die. God meant us to reach out, to reach beyond ourselves. God meant us to go to a system, another system, to have an open system with another system that would be the center of our lives around which we would arrange our lives. Now let me tell you this, as soon as you begin to arrange your Christianity to fit your life, you're in a closed system. Again, you have become the center of that system. It's the other way around. I heard one, a story one time about a guy who, who uh, bought a picture, a wonderful picture of Christ. And he took it home. And he tried it in every room on every wall of the house that he lived in. And it didn't fit anywhere. It didn't look good anywhere. No place in his home did it, did it justice. And he called out an interior decorator and an art um, um, expert. And they looked at this picture. And they said, sir, <laughs> this is not a picture that you put into a house. This is a picture that you build a house around. That is the story of our relationship with Christ. Christ isn't something we fit into our lives. Christ is someone we build our lives around. So that in tapping into, and I don't like to use that word because that's word, that, that word is, those, those words are used by New Agers and so on and so forth. But by, by opening ourselves to a system, to an entire spectrum of life that we do not have access because of our fallen sinful nature. We do have life. Now, the reason we celebrate communion is because in that same structure of the universe, there is no giving of life without the taking of life. There is no renewal of life without death. And the reason that God came and died for us was because it was stamped into the structure of the universe he made. The reason that we have a cross, the reason that we celebrate with blood and broken body is to know that God bought us with a price. That it was our life that he died for. And so therefore, when we choose life, 
We choose it as his cost. And we need to remain forever thankful and forever grateful that he paid the price and we didn't have to. Even if we could have, many of us would have been afraid. Last thing I want to say. It is so important not to make the life that you choose a theological doctrine, but a person. There could have been some supernatural transference of an essence into our lives to make us live. But that's not how God worked. He sent a person. Because we depend, we grow only by being loved, not by being learned. You know, for those of you who have taken Psych 101, you will know that even though an individual animal, they've done these experiments with rhesus monkeys, and they will give a rhesus monkey every food item, every uh, thing that he needs to survive, every physical element of survival. And they will even put in a surrogate mother of towel and wire. But that monkey is retarded because it does not have a living mother to give it love. Many of you will remember of, of uh, discoveries that were made out of the Second World War of orphanages of children who did not have parents to give them love. And you will know that what happened to them is that they actually became mentally retarded, not because they did not have the physical elements for life, for physical life, but because they did not have the emotional sustenance of love. We are wired so that it's not what goes into us that counts. It is not what we learn that counts, but it is the relationship that we have with Almighty God that counts. That's how we're wired. And that's why Jesus Christ is the summation of life for us. Not only because he is of another system, but because he is personal. And he can be our friend, and he can be our father, and he can be our Lord, and he can be everything to us, personally. So, let me pray that today we choose life as a pattern not as a one-time thing, as a pattern. And that every time we feel our life deteriorating and every time we sense it slipping away, we go to the open system. We go to that which can provide us with life through the sacrifice that he made. Would you pray with me? Father, as we take these elements, please burn into our hearts the picture of what you did to give them to us and how that life that was crushed out and stomped out in this world now is available to live in our hearts so that we may prosper and grow even as you promised thousands of years ago. Let us prosper in spiritual ways. Let us grow in spiritual ways. Let us live because you made us for life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.